dress, uh, dress, dress part two. And we'll be dealing with the reaching in ministries here. We, all of our ministries are either about reaching up, reaching in, or reaching out. Reaching up has to do with our relationship with God. Reaching in has to do with the church body. Reaching out has to do with the world. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And uh, so we're now going to evaluate, give a report card on the reaching in ministries. The passages I want to read are from Revelations chapter 2 and Revelations chapter 3. We touched on them last week. I want to do it again. Hello there, young daughter of mine. Oh, is that making everyone mad? Oh, see. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, was that bothering you? Is there anything else, Alicia? That's, that's my daughter. Everything's okay? Zip her up? Okay, good. You're, you're... You know, if it wasn't for... Okay, it's coming. I didn't forget that. That I remembered. <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for my family, I'd be so abnormal. Uh, you know, this is, this is the truth. Before I met Shelly and we started falling in love, uh, you would not believe I would wear two different kinds of shoes, two different colored shoes, and not notice it. Uh, to call me a geek is not uh, quite, is not even close. I wore plaids and stripes together. I, you know, I, everything. So, so you can thank the Lord that you've normalized me. <laughs> and, I, and you're saying, what's normal about you? Well, you should have seen me before. Uh, at least I kind of match now. So, and now my family's joined in to keep me dressed well and everything. Revelations 2, to the angel, here's the Lord's report card of several churches in Asia Minor. To the church at Ephesus, right. And then he gives some positive things, but then he also says this. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. Your first love is gone. To the angel of the church of Pergamum, right. And he says some positive things, but then he says, You have some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, which is a heresy. And they eat food sacrificed to idols, and they practice fornic fornication. To the angel of the church at Thyatira, right. And he says some positive things, but then he says this. You tolerate a woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet and is teaching... And, and is teaching and beguiling my servants to practice fornication and to eat idolatrous food. To the angel of the church at Sardis, right, and says some positive things. This is the Lord talking to the angel in charge of various congregations. To the angel of the church at Sardis, right, I know your works. You have a name for being alive, but in fact you're dead. And so he says, wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. I'm really worried about you, he says. And finally, to the church in uh, uh, Laodicea, right? He says some positive things there, but then he says this, You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I want to spew you out of my mouth. I'll spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I am prosperous, I need nothing. You don't realize that you're wretched, pit pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Okay, we're going to be given a report card here. We need to enter into prayer over this because nothing of kingdom value happens apart from prayer. Can I get some people willing to pray on this side of the room? I listen to the sermon, but just cover me in prayer. A couple more. I just, just keep me covered in prayer. Uh, I need some more. I really, I feel, I feel, okay, thank you. And then in the center here, uh, some intercessors to cover me in prayer. Okay, that was a good, good bunch. And over here, I need uh, some people to cover me in prayer. Okay. Yeah, listen, but cover in prayer. We're going to pray now for the message. We're going to pray for the offering. We worship God. We ascribe worth to God, not just by what we sing and how we sing, but by how we live and how we steward our resources. And so the Bible calls us to seek first the kingdom of God and to trust Him for everything else to be added unto us. And we demonstrate that truth in our life by how we give to the work of the kingdom. So let's pray. Father, uh, it is a privilege and an honor that we have right now to give back to you a portion of what you've given to us. It all comes from you. 
And we pray, Lord God, that you would uh, move in our hearts to create kingdom values. Whatever we are able to give, Lord, creating us a perspective that is countercultural and reflects the firstness that you have in our life. And Father, we pray, Lord, that um, you'd guide the leadership to steward these resources wisely to build your kingdom. And Father, now we pray for the message as it goes forth, that it would confront us, change us, move us, and shake us to be all that you want us to be. We don't want words that just scratch our ears and feel good for a moment. Lord, we want truth, and truth uh, that, that sets us free. So be present here, Lord. That's your responsibility. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. As some of you... I've seen that movie that's out. Uh, it just came out this last week. Um, it's called A Beautiful Mind. How many of you have seen that movie, A Beautiful Mind? Oh, yeah, it's a very good movie. Some of you really liked it. Uh, like any Hollywood show, I'm not endorsing everything that goes on in that movie. But the point of the movie is very good. It's about a man who is this uh, genius. His name's uh, John Forbes Nash, Jr., uh, he was a, one of the pioneer mathematicians of the 20th century. He also struggled with schizophrenia all of his life. And the movie's a really good love story. It's more about his wife than it is about him. And she's the hero, and it's just a beautiful story. But here's why I'm interested in John uh, Forbes Nash. Um, he, his theory, and this comes out a little bit in the movie, he revolutionized economic theory. I'm going to bore you stiff here for about three minutes, but you'll see where I'm going in a second. His, his, uh, he mathematically revolutionized um, the, our, our economic theory, at least in principle. We're still catching up to it. There are some politicians that still haven't learned the truth of his systems, but we're coming around. What he did is he revised Adam Smith's economic theory. Adam Smith was the founder of laissez-faire philosophy, and he held that everybody, the, the economy is best when everybody operates out of their own self-interest. What John Forbes Nash Jr., uh, proved was that that's not quite the case. Rather, what's good for every individual is when every individual operates with a view towards the whole. It is in your best interest to act in a way that's for the best interest for the group as a whole. In the long run, you'll get more blessed, if you will, by operating with a perspective of the group as a whole. Um, what, I'm, what fascinates me about his uh, theory, it's called equilibrium theory, where you don't pit the individual against the whole, but you pit the individual as a part of the whole. This kind of thinking was foundational to a whole trajectory, a whole trend of recent mathematical, sociological, biological, and philosophical thought that deals with the reality of corporate wholes. That, that corporate wholes, groups of people or groups of animals, have a reality to them that transcends the addition of all the individual parts. What I, what I, how I've used it, uh, I wrote a book called Satan and the Problem of Evil, uh, and what, what I try to show in that book is that some of this thinking is really helpful in thinking through God's providence. It helps us understand how God could be in control of the world as a whole without trying to control every individual in that whole. Uh, you have to think in a non-linear, dynamic sort of way to understand that and prove it mathematically. And people who are stuck in a linear mode of thinking never can quite get that. But what John Forbes Jr. and others have, have, have shown is that, in fact, it's true. Isn't that fascinating? Now, here's, here's it is to me. I, I get off on this stuff. But here's what's, what's really interesting to us. This kind of thinking is, is, is very counterintuitive to us Americans because we Americans tend to think totally individualistically, like, like Adam Smith uh, did. And so thinking in terms of the reality of corporate wholes is foreign to us, but it's not foreign to most people throughout history, and it's certainly not foreign to the Bible. 
what the passages in the book of Revelation show is that there is a reality to a corporate whole. God treats the corporate whole of a church, a church congregation, as though it was one individual. And that individual congregation will be blessed or disciplined based on what that church as a whole does. And every individual in that church will be accordingly blessed or disciplined by virtue of participating in that uh, church as a whole. What it shows is this. What, what, what uh, uh, John Forbes Nash Jr. showed in terms of economics is true on a spiritual level. What's good for us individually is that we think about the whole. And what's good for the whole is that we think about the individual. In other words, for me to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when I individually go before the judgment throne, and we all will, the Bible says, Romans 14, 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and other verses. For me to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, I need Woodland Hills Church to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And for Woodland Hills Church to hear as much of the well done, thou good and faithful servant as it can hear, it needs me and every other individual to be seeking to hear well done, thou good and faithful servant individually. You see what I'm saying here? We need to begin to think in terms of a corporate whole. This is why I really believe it is absolutely vital. Uh, the, Bible, the Bible says it, and now sheer logic says it, that if you're going to be much of anything for the kingdom of God, and you're going to be living according to the scriptural way that we should, we should live, you've got to be connected to a church body. Just got to. The Bible has no idea of an individual out there who's not connected to a body. You won't hear nearly the well done, thou good and faithful servant that, that you, you could hear if you were connected to a church body. Because part of your, what you're going to receive has to do with the body that you're a part of is going to receive. And part of the body receiving all they can receive is, is you receiving what, all that you can receive. The two go hand in hand together. It's also why if you're searching for a church, I don't know where God is leading you. I want to give you total freedom on that, but I, I'd encourage you in this respect. The criteria you should use should not be one of convenience or what makes you feel good at the moment. The criteria should be, uh, is this church on fire for God? Are they doing something noteworthy for the kingdom? By participating in this congregation, will I grow to be all I can be? And can I help this congregation become all that it can be so that we can both hear, well done, thou good and faithful servants? Because your future hangs on the future of the congregation you're a part of, at least to a large degree. I'm not overstating that. Read Revelations chapter 2 and Revelations chapter 3. One of the reasons why we take an inventory here is, is precisely to say, how are we as a church doing? Because I want to know. And if this is your church congregation, you ought to want to know because it affects you and it affects me greatly. We also want to do a review so that we all know what to pray for. We also need to do a review so you learn about the ministries that are going on. And as we pool our financial resources together, it's good for you to take ownership of this and to know what it is that you're helping bring about uh, by your, your sacrifice. So there's two points that I want to show us that we get out of, out of Revelations chapter 2 and 3. One is the, the reality of corporate wholes. As un-American as it sounds, there is a reality to the whole. The church, the, the local body, is a, an individual before God. We need to begin to think that way and begin to act that way. And it's in your best interest to act in a way that's in the best interest for the church as a whole and vice versa. Vice, vice versa. The second thing is this. I want us to just for a moment consider the things that the Lord gives these churches a report card on. All of them were doing some things that the Lord says are good. And so he says, yes, uh, you know, you're blessed in this respect. I know the, the, these positive things that you're doing. But it's also the case that he, he confronts them on some points. 
And all the areas he confronts them on have to do with one of two areas, and they're related. On the one hand, they were beginning to compromise with their culture. They were beginning to give in to the false teachings that were prevalent in the culture. They were beginning to give in to the practices that were prevalent in the culture. And secondly, they were growing cold. They were growing lukewarm. He says to the church at Sardis, you've got a reputation for being alive, but I know that you're dead. And he says to the church of Laodicea, uh, you know, I, I, you're not cold. You're not cold and you do some good things, but you're not hot either. Something has changed in these churches and the Lord is confronting them. And the reason why it's significant to us is because I think that the issues that these churches are struggling with are pretty much transcultural. One of the easiest things to do, in fact, it is maybe the easiest thing for a congregation or for an individual to do, is to begin to, yes, to rest on yesterday's achievements or on yesterday's conversion experience or on yesterday's mountaintop experience. The church at Sardis had a reputation for being alive. It had a reputation for doing some great things. I know your name, your reputation, he says. And you have a reputation for really getting things done. You look good. You do it right. You got good programs. It's looking pretty slick. But on the inside, I see that you are dead. There's something decaying there. You've lost something there. Wake up, he says. Wake up. And it's true in our lives individually. You can go on and no one may be looking at you can ever notice this. You still do what you always did. You still look the same. Maybe you still talk the same. You're still going through the motions. But the, 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 the confrontation that this passage brings to us individually and as a church as a whole is this. Is the inner reality still on fire? Do you still have that first love? Do you still have that original passion? Is it a... Uh, are you still hungry for the things of God the way you used to be? No one just, you know, decides to get, wakes up one morning and says, oh, I think I'm going to be an atheist today. Or I think I'm just going to be cold today. I think I'm going to be non-spiritual. Decay in the spiritual realm happens the way it does in the physical realm. Marriages just don't die, you know, over, overnight. Uh, rather, there's a, there's a sense of apathy and lethargy that comes on a heart. And you start neglecting. You stop maintaining what needs to be maintained. You stop fueling the fire. You, you, you stop romancing one another. You stop caring. And gradually it grows colder and colder. And no one even notices it. See, this is why we've got to do inventory every once in a while. You don't even notice that it happens too subtle. In, in the physical realm, they talk about the second law of thermodynamics, which is simply the physical law that everything tends towards randomness. Everything tends towards decay. And like everything else, there's a parallel to, to, to this in the spiritual realm. Everything tends, unless you are intentionally growing in a different direction, and unless you're intentionally striving in a different direction, there is a pull downward on your life. Uh, in a fallen world where Satan is the God of this age, if you're not intentionally growing in one direction, I can assure you that you're decaying in the opposite direction. And, and you maybe don't even notice it. Because externally it still looks good, externally it still sounds good, but inside, in the realm that only you can know, something has changed. And so it is with the congregation. Because this is one whole here. It's possible for a church, in fact, I know this temptation firsthand, for a church to become successful, in, at least by the world's standards. And you begin to feel satisfied. You begin to feel complete. You begin to feel self-sufficient. You know, once upon a time, you had to call upon God and hunger for God and thirst for God because you had nothing else going for you. But now you've got programs. Now you've got a budget. Now you've got some self-sufficiency stuff going on. And it can happen. In fact, if you don't 
take measures to prevent it from happening, it certainly will happen. That you become, you stop needing God as much as you used to need God. You stop calling out for God. You become lackadaisical. You become apathetic. You begin resting on yesterday's achievement. And because maybe that's better than what other places are doing, you think, oh, now we can coast. Now we are rich. Now we are prosperous. Now we are self-sufficient. Now we are in need of nothing. We found the autopilot, and we can just run on automatic. And no one would even know the difference. It, it looks good. It does look good. It looks polished. You still got good speeches and nice music. But do you have that inner intensity that inner conviction, that radical sense of absolute dependency on God. And our prayer individually and our prayer for us as a congregation has got to be, if it's anything, it's got to be, if we're about anything, it's got to be, Lord, we need you desperately. Amen? We need you. We need you, Lord, as much as we've ever needed you. We, Lord... By This is a proclamation and it's my prayer. And I need to, if we're given a report card, this has got to be a central part of the report card. To my life individually and to us as a whole. Because what's good for me is what's good for the whole, what's good for the whole is what's good for me. Are we staying true to the vision? Are we hungry like we used to be? Do, do you still have the love that you had at first? Remember the time when you were most on fire for the Lord. Maybe you had a lot of immature behavior around that, but the fire was genuine. Have you lost that? Have you grown up? We use this idea of maturing, and what it means is cooling down. Oh, I've kind of matured. Well, that can mean, uh, you know, I've just kind of gotten colder. I've lost the radical edge. I've become normalized. You know, I'm kind of more mainstream now. Lord, help us never, ever, 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 ever lose that original love. Lord, help us never lose our hunger for you, our sense of our need for you, our passion for you. Lord, help us always know, not just in our minds, but in our hearts as a matter of conviction, that if you don't show up, ain't nothing worth happening going on here. It's just a waste of time, a magnificent waste of time. Good speeches are worthless. Nice music is worthless. Good kids' programs are worthless if God isn't in it, over and under it, and running through the whole thing. And we need God. You know, we, we should live with a sense of fullness and satisfaction. But the thing about satisfaction in the Lord is that uh, because God is infinite, when you're satisfied in the Lord, there's always a, a hunger for more. There's always a hunger for more. I want to see more of you, Lord. I want to grow deeper. I want, to, I want to experience more of your love. And this isn't about emotion. We all go through ups and downs emotionally. It's about conviction. It's about the awareness of your heart. Woodland Hills Church, are, are, do we still have, and we just got to do this once in a while, have we at all slipped in terms of our God dependency? Our first love passion, our radical awareness of just how dependent we are on God every moment. Are we that way individually? And just let the Holy Spirit convict you on this. Don't fight it. Uh, don't, ju don't evaluate yourself by externals. Ask yourself the one question that only you can answer, and that is, where are you at internally? Are you coasting? Are, are, you, are, are you slipping? Have you begun to sell out? You see, here's the other thing. And I've got to get to my sermon here pretty soon, but, but, but you know, let's just let the Lord go with this for a second. But see, here's the thing. I say that the, the two problems of these churches are related because they are. If you're not getting 
fueled up on a regular basis. I find that I need to do this on a regular thing. I, you know, a week, you can lose a lot in a week. You know, on, on Sunday, you're pumped up, fired up, ready to go. And by Friday, you're Mr. Carnal. You know what I'm talking about? And periodically, we just need to do some real breakthrough times to rekindle the flame. Maybe it's a matter of fasting. Maybe it's a matter of just spending prolonged times before the Lord. Maybe it's a matter of going on retreats and things like that. But we need to rekindle, revive ourselves before God and ask His Spirit to revive us. When you're not doing that, you don't have the energy, however much you intellectually want it, you don't have the energy to resist the culture. You know, we're called to swim upstream. And that takes energy. It takes intentionality. It takes purpose. The easy thing is to coast downstream. And what I'm referring to with the stream is the culture. You won't have the passion to, as these churches had, to, to resist false teaching, to resist assumptions in the culture, to resist behaviors in the culture, to resist, resist the mindset, the worldview, the values of the culture. You won't have the energy and the passion and the desire to resist that if you're not getting fueled up by the Holy Spirit. You can't do it in the flesh. You will invariably, as you cool down, just find yourself acclimating to the culture around you. And that's what was happening with these churches. And so the church stops looking distinct. It stops thinking distinct. It stops acting distinct from the culture around it. It just looks like another aspect of the culture around it. And they had their own issues in the first century culture. We've got our own, our own issues in this culture. But we don't have that passion. What happens is mediocrity begins to slip in. Mediocrity is big in our culture. We begin to assume the materialism and the, and the narcissism, the self-centeredness of our culture, the racial assumptions of our culture, the social assumptions of our culture, and every other assumption of our culture. And the church becomes just one more testament to the culture. But Christians, if we're called to do anything, if, if, if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, and that's what this is all about, if it means anything, it means that we march to the beat of a different drummer. Amen? It means that we swim upstream. It means that we go against the current. It means that we sometimes are, are, are go do unpopular things and think unpopular thoughts. It means that our values and our perspective and what we do with our time and what we do with our money and what we do with our prayer and other things is going to look very different than what the world does with it. If we're called to do anything, we're called to be radical, countercultural, uh, disciples of the Most High God, citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven, before we're citizens of Minnesota or the United States or anything, testifying that we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ, soldiers of a different country, spreading the Kingdom of God against the Kingdom of Darkness, and we will have nothing to do with the culture insofar as the culture is against God. Amen? Amen. But we can't do that on our own energy. That's not about our own willpower. It's about being fueled up by God and being passionate for God. And so the Lord gives these, these, these uh, churches a, a report card, and there's positive things, and there's also negative things. And so it is with us. What in the hell is, how are we doing? How are we doing? Do we still have the fire? Just let it sit there and let the Holy Spirit do with it whatever He wants to do with it in your life. Have you lost that first love? Okay, I've got to preach on the message I'm supposed to preach on. This will be quick. Well, we, we, we dealt with reaching up ministries. We're doing an evaluation here. We dealt with the reaching up ministries last week, all the, the, the corporate gathering here which is primarily about us and the Father. And, and what we saw there was this. Some, some wonderful things are going on. And, and I'm telling you, on the whole, just wonderful things are going on. Uh, last year was just a, a year which in every area almost, uh, you know, it, just, it just really, it, it just blew back my ever-thinning hair. It's just like, whoa. It's, you know, that's probably why it's getting thin. I'm, I'm getting blown away so much. It's, it's getting thinner. But it's just wild stuff. It's wonderful stuff. But 
despite that, we're not going to rest on that. We need more prayer surrounding the preaching because there's more of an anointing that can come forth, especially for me. Okay, so, so that's one area. Another thing is we need, we need more consistency in the worship where we, we, we mature in coming to worship the Lord. Whatever we, we uh, feel like, whatever our emotions are, God is worthy. And so we, we make a commitment to worship Him no matter where we're at. We need more consistency. And we need more love in our corporate gathering together where we just reach out and go out of our comfort zone and greet somebody. And so I challenge the church to, to uh, uh, everybody in the church, here's what's in the best interest of the whole and in your best interest, to meet someone every time you come here. To not just think about yourself and book out, but greet somebody, welcome them, uh, you know, and have a little word with them, and then go on. But we need to share more love here. Romans 15, 6. Welcome one another as the Lord has welcomed you. That's what we're supposed to do whenever we get together. Now we'll deal with the reaching in ministries. And these are, have to do with the, the body life. How is things that we need to have in place for the body to grow together. And there's really four areas of, of this ministry. There is the community area, there is the um, discipleship area, there's the prayer area, and there's the care area. And I'll deal with the first three of these right now. Just a little quick uh, kind of how are we doing assessment of all three of these. So let's go through them. The community. Acts chapter 2 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to fellowship. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, that was a large group gathering, they broke bread at home and ate food with glad and generous hearts. You find two things went on in the early church. They had large group gatherings like this, and they also had small group gatherings. They met in each other's homes. So they took care of one another, and they, they devoted themselves to this. They were committed to this. Now, this is swimming upstream because we Americans are individualists. But what is true biblically is that the body of Christ is to be a community, not just a collection of individuals. Our vision statement says we want to be a community of spiritually empowered people. A community. There's relationship there. So the goal of our community ministry is to create opportunities uh, for people to get connected with one another and to have a community mindset, a relationship mindset that permeates all the ministries. So Kevin Johnson, and he has a team around him because we do all of our ministries as a team, as a community. But uh, their, their job is to uh, make sure that, that uh, this community aspect is permeating everything and that people have the opportunity to get plugged in with one another and form small groups. I want to tell you this, that Woodland Hills Church has taught me a lot. In the last nine years, I have learned an awful lot. Uh, and it's grown me in a lot of ways. Um, one way is, is that I've learned... Patience. I'm still impatient, but I'm much better at being patient than I used to be. I used to be so impatient. And, and, and Janice Rowling, our executive pastor, drives me crazy. She is an irritating force in my life, but I love her. Uh, because she is a patient person, and she slows things down, and she's got wisdom there. So we, we make a good team, uh, you know, as we uh, iron sharpening iron. You know, I pull her along, and she pulls me back. I've learned patience. I've also learned the value of community. And this is not something that I came in, into this church knowing. When we started Woodland Hills Church, this was not one of my high values. I saw, you know, small groups as just a way to, to maybe help people, you know, something or other. But I didn't see it as an end in and of itself. And, and part of the reason is that I was a good American and I'm an individualist. And aside from just being an American, um, I, my whole personality is more individualistic. I don't like team sports. I like individual sports. I, I, uh, I, I just am kind of a, by nature more of a lone ranger. I, I like to do things on my own. I like to, you know, just 
call the shots as I see them. And I, 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 also, I, I look like an extrovert. Some of you think I'm an extrovert, but I'm not. I'm really, in terms of you know, psychological profiles, I've taken the test, I'm more of an introvert. I need time alone. I like to be alone. I, I, I don't have a high need for people. I, I need books. I like books. And, and, and if I don't get that, if I'm around people too much, I start going like this. And, you know, and, and, you know I, I love preaching to you and I love hanging around, but I also need to take a break and there's nothing wrong with that and get alone. But what it means is this. I don't naturally crave being around people. That's not my... Uh, uh, I thought it was going to fix something else on me. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you can all take turns fixing me here. I, I, I don't naturally, you know, gravitate towards people. For the first 15 years of, of uh, our married life, my wife pretty much had to drag me places you know, if we're going to have any friends. And uh, so she'd make a friend and drag me so the husband would have someone to talk with. You know, and I was just kind of like, you know, here we go. And sometimes I try to sneak a book along, you know, have a book. Oh, yeah, really, that's great. And I was addicted to reading. Really inappropriate. Socially out of it. I told you that. You know, and... But see, here's, when we started the church, it wasn't me that came up with the idea of, of community. I thank God that we've got people, you know, around who just give input on this. But Steve Van Sickle, for example, he was one of the early people here, uh, Mary's husband, who really began to talk about uh, the value of community and how essential that is in the body of Christ. And Steve Underline and Paul Eddy and others have just highlighted that. And I've learned this. I haven't just learned it in the Bible, though I have learned that, but I've learned it experientially. Um, I, you know, I, we've been in a small group for about eight, nine years now, and it's morphed in different ways and gone through some, some changes, and some of those have been painful, and that's pretty normal for small groups. But I want to tell you that right now, I don't know how I would do it without my small group. I am in love with the people in my small group. I, I just love them. You know, Julie Ross irritates me sometimes, but, but uh, you know, I, I still love her. I, <laughs> I had to get back at you. No, I, we, 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 this is so valuable to me. A place where I can just totally be myself and process things. And we pray together and we worship together. And, you know, recently we had a baptism service together down in Haiti. We do missions trips together. We're down to Haiti together. And then we help work on the homeless shelter together. And sometimes we go out dancing together or we go to a movie together. We have fun together. We take care of each other's kids. When someone's down on some cash, we pull our resources and help them out. And, and it's just, it's living life in community. And it's a beautiful thing. We, we, we work on each other's marriages when we need that and, and work on each other's kids when we need that. And what I've really come to see is that this is just how Christian community was supposed to be lived. Now, it takes a long time and a lot of work and some ups and downs to get there. You know, it really doesn't happen overnight. But my heart's desire, and it's Kevin's heart's desire, and the whole community ministry's heart's desire, is to have, have this at least available to believers. You know, the, the, people have to go according to their own time and where you're at, and I want to give you space to do that. But I think the ideal is to have believers plugged in, related to one another, and to have, have them doing ministry together and things like this. We are, we, this last year has been wonderful in terms of growing like that. I think we've grown more as a community, as, as a large group body. There's a more of a sense of we and ownership on this. But we also have grown a lot in terms of uh, small group communities being formed. We've almost doubled the number of small groups we have just over last year. That's a real praise item. Amen. We've, we've almost doubled the, the number of leaders of small groups. We've increased uh, the, the, the number of coaches. We've, we've improved the training that goes on. And Kevin and his team are doing an outstanding job. The but on this is this. I'd say this. Praise God for all of that, but we still have a long way to go. Um, we, so far as we can tell... Um, 
about uh, only about 25% of the attenders of Woodland Hills Church are actually in a covenant group. Uh, a Woodland Hills Covenant group. Maybe it's a little more than that. But uh, on the, there's still a large number of people that aren't. Now, it may be, and we're hoping that it's because you have your own uh, uh, genuine Christian relationships that, that are meeting that need. But we have a sense that a lot of people still are just kind of floating out there. And so we want to encourage you to, to consider becoming uh, a part of a, a covenant group. Or maybe you want to start by being a, a, a part of a ministry, because they also have covenant groups, and you, and, and you minister together. Even more importantly, I want to say this. We need leaders, because what we found is that when we start covenant groups without leaders who have been trained on how to, how to lead a covenant group, um, the attrition rate is, is fairly high. It's not easy to start a covenant group. There's all sorts of chemistry issues and whatnot. And some, it's, it's not catastrophic or ungodly or demonic when a group gets together for six months and decides, ah, it's not working. That happens sometimes. There's a lot of factors here. Don't feel bad about that. But I want to encourage you to try, to keep trying. And we found that when there's a leader who's been trained, and Kevin does the training, and his team does the training, uh, the, 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 the ability of teams to get along and, and groups to get along is, is much greater. So if you are a mature Christian, you've been around the block a couple of times, uh, consider, and, and, you know, you feel like you want to shepherd something, consider calling Kevin and, and uh, becoming a leader of one of these uh, covenant groups. We are really in need of that. A lot of good things happening, but we've got a ways to go. Let's go to number two, discipleship. How are we doing in discipleship? The Bible says this, that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. We talked about the fellowship, but what you also need is that they devoted themselves to uh, the apostles' teaching. Devoted. They were committed. That's what the word means. Devoted. They were devoted to each other, and they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We have to understand this, that God calls us as a whole and as individuals to not just be believers, but to be disciples. And to be a disciple means that you are mentored. Uh, Dallas Willard in his great book, uh, Divine Conspiracy, he defines being a disciple as one who is mentored by Jesus Christ. You're in a mentoring relationship. And that is a lifelong thing. God wants to grow us. He uh, wants us to be uh, maturing in our knowledge of the Word and in, in our spiritual practices. What we want to do, the whole goal of the discipleship compartment of Woodland Hills Church is to raise this up as a value and provide opportunities for people to, uh, to grow. Uh, opportunities whereby they can learn more of the Word and things of that sort. Now, we've had a dream for a long time, and it became reality this last year. And that was to have a, a theological institute. So in September, we started the St. Paul Theological Institute. And uh, praise God. We had over 200 people take classes that first semester. And that's a real praise item. That is, that is stupendous. There's a lot of seminaries who don't have that many people in them. Uh, that was wonderful. And Steve uh, Enderline, who's in charge of this, has brought together uh, a number of gifted teachers, experienced teachers, some professional teachers who teach at colleges. And uh, there's just available to everybody now some very good quality teaching in theology, in apologetics, and in spiritual disciplines. And we want to be broadening those out as time goes on. The only but I give on this whole thing is this. Uh, two challenges. Number one, to every individual here, let it land. Are you being discipled? To be discipled means, means disciplined. We're in an army. The, our captain is very interested in disciplining us. Not as a negative thing, but that just means growing in our life, growing in conformity with his wishes. Are you being discipled? Are you growing? Or are you doing the American coasting thing? This also is, an, is, a, is a countercultural thing we're doing here. 
Our dream is to have this institute uh, available to, there's a lot of ways you can be disciplined through reading, private stuff, whatever. We just want to make classes available to you if that's what would help you. And in fact, we're registering for new classes now, and on the gathering area you can do that if you feel so led. But we, we want to eventually have an institute uh, and be praying about this that, would, that will reach out outside of our church. Uh, why not provide, if we have the means to do this, an education to people who can't afford an education, especially the pastors in the, in, in, in the inner city, youth pastors in the inner city, lay workers, uh, might not have a center of urban training to train people on how to minister in the city for people who can't otherwise afford it. That's part of the vision. We've got a long ways to go, but that's our vision. We want to eventually maybe have part of this, uh, courses where we provide classes for the community. You know, we're, we're uh, life skills classes. Uh, eventually, we're, we're, we're looking to getting accredited and maybe provide, you know, extension courses here as a service to the, to the community. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Here's what would be a great thing. And there are already people thinking about this, planning in this direction. To have life skills training courses and job training courses here at the church as part of this institute uh, to, to provide an opportunity for people to further their employment, especially to, let's say, the homeless shelter. You, do you know that Minnesota has got the highest rate of full-time employed homeless people of any state in the nation? We, we, you can find work in Minnesota. The trouble is you can't live off of it. Flipping burgers just doesn't allow you to get a house. And so we've got these people who are working full-time but, but don't have any place to live. Oh, what a God thing it would be to just offer up a job training thing. And there are people in our congregation who do that, and they're saying, how can we service them? And invite them in free of cost to train them on doing work so they can get a job where they can actually live off of it. And you do it in Jesus' name. What a testimony that would be, amen? What a, what a Jesus thing to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. So that, that's the goal that we have for the discipleship. Are you being discipled? And we got, we, got, we got some great plans for this one. Then the third thing, I close with this. The prayer ministry. The prayer ministry. The Bible says that they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. And awe came upon everyone because of the wonders and the signs that were being done. Uh, this, is just, this is just a huge one. We, uh, this last year, among the other things we, we, we've done... We, 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 I forgot to say this last week in the service, um, but, but last year we increased the budget 50%, which is ludicrous by ordinary standards. But we had to because of all the ministries we were going to start. And that we have just, we started the discipleship, uh, we, start, we started this prayer center, we, we're, there's a number of other things I'll be going over that way that we started. And I want to just praise God that there was a real faith step to increase the budget by 50%. Uh, and the people of God responded. And la it, it took us to the 52nd week of last year, but we made budget. Let's praise the Lord. I mean, that was, praise God, that was a, that was a huge thing. And I want to thank God for how you're responding, you know, and how you're responding. We set the bar at a level that we feel, you know, is, is right. The trustees, overseers do that. And the people of God have responded. We, we, it was just a monumental year. One of the things we did is we brought on Peggy, uh, Peggy Riley, to head up the prayer ministry. Amen. And uh, 
Because this is just, we have the conviction that nothing of kingdom value happens apart from prayer. And so she's overseeing this whole ministry. And it's a blowing back your hair sort of thing that she's doing. We have a Wednesday night corporate prayer time where we cover all the ministries in prayer. There's more prayer going on now than ever before in the, in, in the life of William Hill's church. And that's the bottom line. Because when there's more prayer going on, there's going to be more kingdom stuff going on. So we've got every area being covered on Wednesday nights. We've got a prayer chain that people can call into where they've got a need. And there'll be uh, people in the prayer ministry praying for you. We've got uh, um, a training class that Peggy's starting for people who want to learn how to pray for people, uh, for salvation, for healing, for deliverance, or for whatever. And they'll be eventually part of the, the institute, but that's going to be starting real soon, and if you're interested, you can check that out. And then we've got a Sunday night healing, prayer, praise, and healing time, where we're just going before the Lord and, and uh, really just obeying His Word to pray for people, that they get free from demonic bondage, and pray that people will receive physical healing in their life. Our goal is to have, in fact, we've already started it, a prayer and praise and healing and deliverance center. Okay, now think about this. Where people can, even outside the church, anywhere, even non-Christians can come. And uh, they've got a physical need or a psychological need or a spiritual need or a marital need or any need. And they know that if they go here, there are people who will pray for them. And then they begin to experience the power of God to help them. And see, in the, in the New Testament... Um, Jesus usually healed people before he had a relationship with them. Think about it. And in the New Testament, uh, the, the demonstration of God's supernatural power was one of the main ways that they testified to the truthfulness of who God is. You see, now, the, the church in America, we're swimming upstream on this one too, is largely a naturalistic church. We don't see much of that. You know, you don't... Uh, we pretty much have got stuff that people can do. But you don't hear emphasized a lot, demonic freedom or being freed from demons and, 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 and healing. It doesn't fit our Western categories. But to swim upstream against the culture means this. We go according to Bible categories, not according to Western categories. Amen? And the Bible tells us that God wants to heal us of our diseases. Amen? And God wants to free us from bondages. And so what we want to do is be believing God and trusting God to see Him move in a supernatural way, to see people healed inside the church and outside the church for the glory of God, to see people freed inside the church and outside the church for the glory of God. And I know Peggy's passion and the passion of the team that she has is this. We want to see God move. We want to see Him do what only He can do. We want to walk not by faith in what has been, and not by sight in what has been, but by faith in what can be, and be believing God to set the captives free. Amen? We want to see more of the supernatural power of God. Thank God for what we've seen. Thank God for what He's done. But we will not coast. We will not get satisfied. We will not settle. No. Our heart. Amen. Never. Our heart is to say, more of you, God. More of you, God. We haven't even begun to see the supernatural power of God. Not really. We haven't even begun to see what God can do in setting people free. Not really. We haven't begun to see you know, how, how God's mighty arms can just break the chains of bondage on a mind, on a family, on a heart, on a kid. But we want to see it. We want to see it. And so the challenge is this. Will you believe? This is what the Sunday night service is all about. You know, we're starting very small. You know, we just... Getting this thing going. But the, the goal here is to have a context where you can just wait upon God. Have a little teaching about the power of God and, and whatever. And then wait upon God to see God show up. To see God begin to heal and move in those ways. For some of you, and I know that there's a number of you here who feel like our, our Sunday morning services are a little too constricted. That's okay. Sunday night they're not. 
You know, Peggy's okay with whatever goes on. I mean, she's a, she's a wheeling Pentecostal kind of gal, you know, and so it's a lot freer. And, and there's just time to wait upon God and to pray and, and to minister there. I want us just to be uniting our faith. You know, the spiritual realm always corresponds to the physical realm. And in the physical realm, when we pool our resources together, we can do what, what, what none of us can do individually. It's also true in the spiritual realm. I want us to pool our faith together and believe God to do what only God can do. You know, they say, they say I've got to end here, but they say that there's a, uh, a spiritual stronghold over the entire country, America, uh, that is a, a, a kind of a stronghold of unbelief that keeps, that just constricts, chokes, the supernatural power of God. That's why we always hear about it in, uh, in, in other countries, but we don't see much of it in America. And you know what? I think that that's probably true. I think that's probably true. But I say let's pool our faith and our prayer and our resources, and let's punch a hole in that sucker. You know, like popping a hole in the ozone, you know? Let's just punch a hole in the thing and see God flow through like Niagara Falls, you know? And, and at least in this location, see the power of God going upstream, breaking the Western stronghold, and seeing God be glorified by how He ministers to people in the church, out of the church, in the community. I'd like this to be a place where people know that they can come and get prayed for. And eventually have a center where any time of any day they can come and, and get prayer for whatever needs are there. Praise God. I thank God for what He's done, but I have great anticipation for what He's going to do. Uh, and, and be believing with me on that. I close with this. Close your eyes. Pray. And I, I got to just end with this invitation. Anybody here want to join the kingdom? Anybody here want to help us change the world? Anybody here want to get saved? Anybody here want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Nothing fancy. No tricks here. No illusion. It's just a matter of saying yes to Jesus. Raise your hand if you're here and you've never done this kind of right now conscious decision thing to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord. I want to give you the chance to do that. I'm not going to call you up. I'm just going to pray for you. If you're here this morning and you want to accept the Lord, would you just raise your hand real high so I can see you? And we'll all pray with you together. Over there, praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Anybody else? In the middle here, amen. Thank you. A couple others in the middle here. Amen. Wonderful. Anybody else? Just one minute here. Okay, back there. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You're surrendering to Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. This is the start of eternal life for you. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. In the middle there, amen. Okay, you who raised your hands, pray this as I lead you as a wedding vow. We'll join with you as a source of support. But pray from the center of your heart. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that you are God and that you have all rights over me. And I confess that I have not lived in a way that acknowledges you as God. I repent of my sin and I ask you to forgive me in Jesus' name. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Live in me and make me whole. Help me live for God the rest of my life. I surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the radical countercultural kingdom. Amen. Amen. All the angels in heaven rejoice. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Would the prayer team come forward? And as they do, I want to encourage you who raised your hand, there's five or six of you, uh, to... Take a moment out and stop at the back of the auditorium. And there's a person there who's got some information they'd like to give you to help you get started in the Christian walk. Uh, it's really necessary. 
uh, that you get some information here. The devil hates what you just did. And so you need some protection against that. If you're here this morning and you have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to come forward and our prayer team would be glad to spend some time in praying for you. Love one another, greet one another, welcome one another as the Bible commands in Jesus' name and be blessed to be kingdom people throughout the week. We love you guys. God bless.